0: Father, that's our prayer today, that you would indeed speak to us because your servants are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what do I think to myself? (laughs) Absolutely, and if you were here last week, you might be thinking to yourself, the rectors picked up last week's sermon, (laughs) Uh, because that's how I started last Sunday as well. Uh, And you're thinking, are we going to hear the whole thing over again? Uh, Well, you'll be relieved to hear that it's not the same sermon again. Uh, But perhaps as I read Genesis chapter 2, and it would be good to have that open in front of you, page 4. But as I read it a few moments ago, uh, you might have been thinking to yourself that it seems awfully similar to Genesis chapter 1. After all, it's another telling of the creation story. So what is going on? Think for a moment of watching football on TV. Uh, maybe match of the day at uh, last night. Uh, when a goal is scored, they don't just show it from one angle. Uh, they show it from one side and then they show it from the other uh, and then from behind the goal and then overhead and, uh, and they might show it in slow motion so you can see exactly what happened. Uh, they might focus on one player to see how he uh, was involved. You get a bigger picture when you see it from lots of different angles. And that's part of what's going on here today. But also, while it looks as if it's the same old story again, that this is a new departure. That the story is going somewhere. You can tell that by the start of verse 4. Look at it with me. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The way that verse starts, the way that line starts is the way that Moses, the writer of Genesis, divides up his material. You see, we're so used to the chapters in the Bible uh, that it seemed a little bit strange that last week we read the whole of chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. But Genesis is divided up by the places where it says this is the account of so-and-so or uh, these are the generations of, uh, another version has it. There are 11 of these markers throughout Genesis, each time indicating a new part of the story, the next stage of God's unfolding plan. And what do we find in this account of the, uh, the heavens and the earth? Well, we find that the subject is God. It's all about what the Lord God did and is doing in his world. God is active and working and creating and fulfilling his plans and purposes for his creation. He's putting the patterns in place for his big design. And he is providing all that we need. But that's maybe to get ahead of ourselves. Because as we begin the chapter, people aren't around yet. Uh, We get uh, an idea of the time frame there in verses 4 to 6. The shrubs uh, and the plants of the field haven't sprung up yet. They're ready, uh, they're full of potential, but they haven't grown up yet because, uh, just there, uh, where are we, about four lines down, uh, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, And there was no man uh, to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now I don't know ladies, maybe that sounds like paradise. No rain and no men. Uh, But of course there are no women either yet. Uh, Not quite yet. But that's all about to change. As God makes man. Verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If you were with us last week, can you remember what we saw there in Genesis chapter 1? Can you remember how God created everything? How did light come about? God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said something and it happened. His words were powerful enough to, to, to make everything. But here this is different, isn't it? This is different because God gets his hands dirty. Do you see what happens? He formed the man from the dust of the ground. He, uh, he scoops up some mud uh, like a child playing with plasticine or, or Play Doh, and he forms the man. And that's not all. He breathes into his nostrils. This isn't the, uh, you know, the, the Sistine Chapel uh, image uh, done by uh, Michelangelo. Uh, and if you can't think of it, think of the opening of the South Bank show. Uh, where you have you know, the finger of God and the finger of Adam and they kind of almost touch and there's this spark of electricity between the two. That's not what happened. How did God give Adam life? He gives him the kiss of life, breathing life into his creation, this first man. God is intimately involved in his creation. And God is the God who provides, verse 8. He provides a home for the man in the Garden of Eden. And, and when you hear that word Eden, you probably already are thinking of paradise. And so this is God's ideal home exhibition and the, the Chelsea Flower Show all in one. All kinds of trees are there, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And right in the center of the garden are two special trees the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The paradise God provides is a home, but it's also well supplied with water. Uh, A river flowing from Eden, dividing into those four, slightly tricky to pronounce, headwaters. Uh, And there is even gold and resin and onyx all provided there. God provides a home. God provides water. And God provides work as well. You see, whenever you think of um, booking a holiday and going away to, to paradise, what do you imagine? What do you imagine? You imagine white beaches, sun all day, and a nice cooling drink just beside you on the, on the sunbed. But Adam in paradise is there to work. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The man's task is to work the ground, to extend the kingdom of Eden into all the world and also to take care of it, to guard it and to keep it. So what the Bible is telling us here is that work isn't something that only started after the fall, even though sometimes it can feel that way. Work is part of God's plan. Part of his creation ordinance. So how might we view work differently as we go there tomorrow? Our work has purpose and value and contributes to uh, God's purposes in the world. God has provided a home and water and work and next, we see he provides food as well. At Boden Eden, there are no juicy steaks or chicken dinners. Sorry to disappoint. It's all organic. It's all gluten-free. It's all vegan because all the food is hanging on the tree. Verse 16, uh, the, Lord Go- sorry, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God provides the fruit from any tree as food. Apart from this one. There's a warning there. There's a, there's a barrier there. You see, there's, there's abundance in paradise. But there's one tree that he can't eat from. Just one restriction. The only commandment that Adam has. Will he obey? Or will he not? We've seen how God has provided so much a home and water and work and food uh, and his good commandment Uh, and you could think to yourself what a wonderful world what a perfect paradise and you'd be right and the echoing chorus that we kept hearing last Sunday uh, and God saw that it was good you could almost have it here again But suddenly, right in the middle of Eden, right in the middle of this chapter of God's perfect provision, there is something that is not good. Verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Remember that we saw last week that we've been made in God's image. For love and community, as well as for God's plan and purpose. And so God says that it's not good for this man, for Adam, to be alone. He needs a helper, someone to share in his work and his world. And so the search is on. God brings all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air to the man The man names them. He exercises authority over them. Can you imagine what that was like? There's something with two humps. Call him a camel. And after he has named them all from aardvark to zebra and everything in between, he has come to the end. But the search is not over. For Adam, no suitable helper, was found. Animals might be useful in so many ways. Dogs and cats can be great company. But for this purpose, no helper has been found. And so God takes the initiative. He performs surgery. He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He takes a rib and makes a woman from the rib. Matthew Henry, a Bible commentator and pastor, writing in the 1700s, said this, Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. And then comes the moment of meeting. When the man and the woman are introduced. And for the first time in the Bible, Adam speaks. He says in verse 23, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. It's the very first love song. The first love poem uh, from the very first love story. And do you see how uh, man and woman are so intimately connected? Bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. And our, our English words with the common part of man in both man and woman reflect the Hebrew words ish for man and "isha" ah, for woman. Equal but different. The complementary nature of, of male and female. And so that's reflected in God's plan for marriage as we see in the next verse. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother And be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. As the old uh, book uh, put it. God's pattern for marriage here is one man and one woman. Living faithfully together for life in a public covenant. The two becoming one. And in our New Testament reading, we see that Jesus, when asked about marriage and divorce, refers back to this verse as the foundation for the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage. Marriage is God's idea, his plan. And so the the man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. There was nothing to be hidden, nothing to be ashamed of. And then we see in Ephesians 5, we didn't read it this morning, but Paul points back to this verse to show God's ultimate plans. You see, marriage in this world is till death us do part. But marriage, our marriage, points to the ultimate wedding, the ultimate marriage, which will come in at the end of time between Jesus and his bride, the church. Our marriages are a picture of his marriage. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we're still marveling at the wonderful world that God has made. We get a glimpse of God's perfect paradise. And in a sense, we we wish we were there, don't you? It sounds so good, so perfect, so unlike. Of the world that we live in. Um, And we realise that. Paradise. Has been lost. But God is still. The same God. He is still a generous. And gracious provider. And here we see. The ways in which God provides. Home. Water. Work. Food. Companionship marriage and relationship with him. When you realise just how much God has given to us, it should move us to praise and thanksgiving. To say thank you to God for the many, many ways in which he has provided. So let's do that now. Let's pause And take a moment quietly to thank God for all his provision to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. We thank you that all good gifts come from you. We thank you, Lord, for the many ways in which you provide for us every day. Ways that perhaps we don't even think about or acknowledge. Help us, Lord, not to take them for granted but to thank you, the giver. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.